All right, we uh, shall get started. Thanks for coming out in the rain tonight. We're always, um, let's see, what was it, a week or two ago? Snow? Always, always something on Wednesday nights for some reason. If you'd like to change it to another night, we could try Tuesdays. Would you like to do Tuesdays? <laughs> the reason I say that is um, Debbie was just asking, are you guys ever considering moving to a different night? She comes into town on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then I know Luke and Connie have a thing with Wednesdays because their son um, goes to church up, uh, at First Baptist in California to the, the youth meetings there on Wednesday. And so I thought if people wanted to do that for at least a few weeks or so, I don't know if you'd... Is anybody... I don't know. That's You probably have different things going on, so it may not be uh, the best idea, but... <laughs> what 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 night are you? Uh, uh, like a Tuesday night. Tuesday, or do you want to go back to Monday? Um, well, t- actually, Debbie uh, Debbie comes into town on Tuesday, and I've been saying I did I asked oh, Tuesdays okay. and Thursdays, and I think there's a reason that um, Thursdays would be a little bit of a problem. Yeah, Barb has uh, things happening on Thursday, and I yeah, yeah right, Janice and Eldon, small groups, so. I don't know. Um, I'll just toss that out there and see what you guys think. We'd, it's not that it would necessarily be permanent, but be something, you know, if if, if that helps, if, if you could adjust to that. If not, I don't want to mess things up with anybody in the in the original group here, but I've been meaning to, to say that. And then trying to keep up with it and on the Internet. everybody would be here and I wouldn't show up. Yeah. Oh, it's tonight. Once you know, I'm one of those kind of guys that I, I get on one night. Like the Monday night thing went till what? Just a few years ago, we had to shift to Wednesday because we couldn't meet on Mondays anymore at the other building, and so we just kept it on Wednesdays. And we did that for many, 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 many years. But um, you know, um, talk to you later and see how it works. I might talk to you individually and. If if it doesn't work for just one person, I don't want to change it. But if it does for all of us, then that's that's good. Anyway, we are in Acts 20. We were there last week. This is Paul's message to the Ephesian elders. And in this chapter, we see the only sermon in Acts that is for believers only. Now, that's recorded in Acts. It's not that he didn't have some for believers only, but in this sense, it is strictly for them. Uh, Luke, the author of Acts, is present at this time because uh, the word we is present in uh, this text. And that's the only sermon like that. Uh, this is somewhat of a, a farewell discourse as he um, gets together with the Ephesian elders. And in one sense, it's kind of like the, I guess you could kind of compare it, and I don't want to take this too far, but you can see how Jesus was getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and Paul now is going to go to Jerusalem. Paul knows what awaits at Jerusalem. He's already been told, and this text will tell us that the Holy Spirit has already warned him. Uh, And uh, there have been prophets, and people tell him what uh, awaits for him if he goes there. And uh, so there are some comparisons, I think, that are interesting as we think about this Passion Week that we are in. And here's Paul uh, with uh, his own uh, comparison to the, kind of like uh, in this sense here, this um, gathering that he has with just Ephesian elders, kind of like the upper room discourse that he Jesus had with the apostles. 
uh, the night before he's crucified. And it's the entrance, I think, of a great passion, uh, knowing that his arrest awaits. And there's something unusual in this text. There are a lot of different things here. And uh, it's um, you can take some of these teachings and, and see where Paul has used these throughout other uh, sermons or different texts uh, throughout the scriptures that he wrote. It's easily missed in the English uh, language, uh, but here you deal with um, the structure or government in the church where he mentions elders, he mentions uh, bishops or overseers and he mentions pastoring and so those are three different kind of Greek terms presbuteros and episkopos and uh, poimen shepherd or um, pastor so the elders here that he meets together with are the elders that um, would be like the teaching elders teachers throughout the Ephesus churches uh, spreading on out into Asia and um, so he gathers them together. We'll see that in a moment as we go through here. Uh, it's a very moving message that he has to the elders. And you have to see that um, Paul is a man kind of running against the clock uh, in, a, in a sense. This is his third missionary journey. We think of the three missionary journeys, but actually I, I tend to think of another missionary journey that uh, as he goes to Rome uh, on um, maybe in a little bit different way than he would expect. Uh, as he's taken as a captive. But uh, he realizes that his ministry could be finishing. Um, This is going to be a while yet. But you remember, the way that he takes that is, as he explained in uh, Philippians chapter 1, for instance, um, it's almost, he'd rather be with the Lord, but yet he has a ministry to finish out. And so he's kind of torn. Um absent from the body and present with the Lord. We think of that, and of course uh, we know that ultimately that's uh, that's where he got. Um, and, and it didn't really bother him one bit what would happen to him. If that's the way it is going to be, uh, if I'm going to get it, well, then I'm going to have joy doing it. Um, if they're going to capture me and take me to prison and do whatever they're going to do, I'm going to finish the ministry. Whatever God has in mind, He's he's had it planned out to do it. If you just be obedient and you go all the way through, God already has it planned out. So you just kind of trust in Him and that um, and that sovereign God that we have. So whatever happens, happens, Paul's saying. In the meantime, I'm going to take the Word of God and continue to preach and teach it. So, you know, he lived for one thing. Of course, that was obviously the glory of God, but he, he lived to finish the work the, the Lord gave him to do, and that he did. And uh, by the time he writes Timothy... Uh, of course, we know that's that's really what he says. I finished the course, fought the fight, uh, right? <laughs> and so um, he did. Had, and so this is quite a message that he gives to uh, these elders. Why don't we uh, have a word of prayer with the Lord? Father, thank you for this evening. Come together again. We have it. Um, we have it so good. As we we have a roof over our head. We have a place to come. People to. Uh, fellowship with, get around your word, and uh, Lord, we uh, we think about other places that don't have it as easy as we do, but they truly have a desire for you, and we, we think of um, places in Africa, places that um, maybe start out with uh, nothing but maybe uh, 
poles and a some kind of a little bit of a roof over them, if if, if that. Um, and so we think that as we come here and we drive in our cars on nice streets, and we thank you. I never want to take that for granted, but uh, it is uh, it's a great privilege over all things to to study together and to learn a little bit more about you as we get refreshed in a uh, in this particular book of Acts, and we remember how you work and how your ministers work and may we be able to take that to our own lives and be driven by your Holy Spirit to be ministering your word in however many different ways you do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to talk about the past. We're going to talk about the future. We're going to talk about the present. And uh, that's <laughs> that's what, uh, that's what Paul does as he... Um, goes to the next place here. He's been going from one area to the to the next, touching on little uh, little places, and um, he gets to Miletus, and realizes that Ephesus is close. It's like 30 miles. He doesn't have the time to go to Ephesus, and he gets the message out to the people uh, from Ephesus and surrounding areas there, the elders, just the elders, to meet him where he's at there in Miletus doesn't have time. He knows if he goes there, he'll never get away from them. <laughs> and um, so, he um, there's a ship heading for Jerusalem. He's going to be at Miletus for uh, several days. Sends over for the elders. He wants one more chance to share with them as far as he's concerned. This is the last time he's going to see them. And he had spent quite uh, quite some time there in Ephesus. Had quite a ministry there. What a church was built by him. He did the mission work and then um, taught them. Taught them day, taught them night. Taught them um, during the, the, the day hours. At like a, it was like a school, an education class. And then at night going house to house, uh, constantly preaching, teaching the Word. Um, and now he's going to speak to his own disciples, his own elders that had uh, started to mature. Uh, verse 17 from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church and when they had come to him he said to them you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the uh, master disciple here. (laughs) Um, He comes to a place to meet him, and they're called elders, and uh, that's presbyteros, get the word Presbyterian from that, elder rule, and uh, that's that's biblical. Um, Presbyteros, elder, uh, means a mature man. And these were people who were mature. And of course, you think of uh, older men uh, when you think of that, and it, it, it certainly can mean that, but it doesn't always mean that they all have to have gray and white hair and are old. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that? Presbyteros is older men. Aha. Uh-huh. So there is a difference. So you, that 
slight difference. Yeah, one can be old and and uh, not be mature, and one can be young and be mature. <laughs> not always work that way, but anyway, um, Timothy would be one who was considered a, a young man, and yet he would be uh, he was an, an elder there. He ranked as an elder, and we know in verse um, twenty eight says, uh, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We've seen elders. Now they're called overseers. The same group of people. And then here's what they're to do. To shepherd. Or there's your appointment. Uh, pastor. Feed the flock. To oversee them. To be the uh, elders. Uh, the mature. And uh, so you get uh, those three terms explaining the one office. It's uh, of course today. I think in our uh, of course our English has broken that down, and each uh, a lot of different people have different views on the way that government is to be in the church. Um, the Presbyterians have this elder rule. Um, then you get to uh, uh, of the Episcopal thought, which is the overseers or bishops who have certain areas where they are in charge of. And you also have a congregational rule, um, which yeah, exactly. And of course, then you have the Roman Catholic Church government, and um, those those are some of the different ones. And every one of them would give you some kind of a biblical aspect of why they have what they have. But I think if we have a trip through the New Testament and you look in. Um, First Timothy and Titus, right here in Acts chapter 20 and other places, we see the role of the elder or uh, bishop or pastor. And in different places, they're called different people or different positions, but really the, uh, the one who... And there are, there are more than just one. Uh, you'll see it in its plurality. And that's really the, the, the basic principle, the way that it's supposed to be. There ought to be multiple elders... That is the uh, way, if possible. That's not always the case of how it works out. In our case, we've tried it a few times, and what happened with the ones that we always had, now you guys know the story, is they wound up either going pastoring other churches or they've gone to seminary. And um, every time, that's what's been. And so <laughs> we, we turn on. Um, but at the same time, um, we know that... Uh, this elder here, uh, elders, they, they rule the flock, they rule the congregation, um, they do it uh, in a way that that would be like a like Paul would. Um, so they, they have oversight, and they don't do it by a big stick, but they rule according to uh, what Peter talks about by example. And the, uh, of course, you think that Jesus is, of course, ultimately the head of the church, but quite a responsibility. And we know that, um, of course, Paul says, uh, you yourselves know, you know this, you remember when I was here, and it might be a defense case because as he had left out, what do you think might have started coming in? False teachers, Judaizers, legalizers, and they uh, always seem to um, take Paul's position as an apostle and show that he was really a false apostle. And they'd try to prove that. And, of course, the book of Galatians is another one. He's always having to um, give an apologetic 
to the position that he has. I'm not saying that's what he's necessarily saying from the language there. We can't draw from that necessarily. He uses this several times. You already know this. You, you know, just remember from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. Um, you were on my heart, on my mind. I, I prayed for you. I, I taught you the Word of God. And I was there constantly doing it. Uh, really cared about the flock. And so that was just the way that, that Paul was. Whenever he did something, he made sure that uh, it was a 100% effort. And they they know that. They they remember that. And he says, serving the Lord with all humility. And uh, that word humility is um, the epitome of Jesus Christ. He is the epitome of humility. Jesus is. Well, so is Paul. In all of his ministry, it was uh, always in a humble way. So, I think this is probably a good uh, sampler uh, of Paul. and We see his uh, characteristics here. He says, you know how my ministry operated, and I wasn't doing it for uh, my own self, but it was, um, it was for them. It was for the glory of God. And then he says in 19, serving the Lord. And that word serving is actually the word for slave. Paul most often seemed to refer to himself as a slave. And that's the highest privilege that anyone can be, is a slave. <laughs> Isn't Christianity, it always seems like it has things on the backwards end. And it's really not. It's, it's up front. That's the way it ought to be. What a privilege to be a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ. But that's that's it's a bond servant here. He uses seventeen times in um, his epistle. He talks a lot about slavery and high, it's a high calling. And uh, then you know you think of humility. You think of Philippians two three, and um, of course that passage is definitely I think uh, one of the greatest examples of what humility is. He says. Um, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's a that's a slave type thought, isn't it? Lowly, uh, devoted submission, uh, humility uh, with uh, being content, uh, contented obedience. Uh, to be like Christ, looking out for the interest of others, as he says in Philippians. And then he says, have this attitude in yourselves like Christ. And then we get that great section in uh, starting at verse 5, verse 6. Christ existed in the form of God, Lord Himself in a sense. So, uh, there's Paul serving with humility, with tears and trials. The tears, that would be the... Uh, uh, a suffering, I think you could say maybe an inside suffering, maybe a lot of tears maybe coming rolling down, but it was there was an inward sense there, and a full heart and all humility is going to find somebody that uh, sheds tears, uh, an inside suffering for tears, and he did it for different kinds of people in Romans nine he uh, well turned there for his people that he uh, came from his background in Hebrews 9 1 I'm telling you the truth in Christ I'm not lying my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart 
For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my my kinsmen, according to the flesh. uh, Yes, I have great sorrow, unceasing grief in my heart, he says there. So, the the lost, the lost um, people that were in the nation of Israel, just for starters. You can look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. I think we see another group of people he has tears for. But out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. So affliction and anguish and with his tears. And we're talking about, um, I guess you could say, the fleshly lives that the Corinthians were living. And he even wrote a section dealing with um, the carnality that they were involved in. So he cried for them. Um, Was it 2 Corinthians? Yeah, 2-4, we did that. Uh, There's another one in that he would weep for the enemies of Christ. Weeping that they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. So that it would be the, the false teachers, even. And he would weep and cry over them because uh, God's glory was being undermined with false teaching. So many tears. Inside suffering. And then um, he says here in Acts, you get the outside suffering and that there were trials. Tears and with trials. From uh, from the outside, the, the testing. You can think of the, as he says here, the the plots of the Jews, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. He, of course, we've seen it all throughout Acts. Everywhere he goes, they seem to trail him and bring in their false teaching. Eleven twenty four. Five times I received from the Jews. 39 lashes came from the Jews. How they hated him. He was willing to give up his life. Think of the real, real physical suffering that he went through, not just by being in shipwrecks, but from his own people. There he kept preaching. Never gave up, did he? Be awful easy to turn back around and say, "Hey, this is not it. God's not in this thing." Yeah. <laughs> but the word of God being preached, we know we're always on the uh, on the right aspect if we're preaching and teaching the word of God and have the right attitude with doing that, for that God would be known and He'd be glorified. He says, "How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching." you publicly from house to house. He gave them everything that he had. Never held anything back. There's certain things that one could avoid in the Word of God because it just might be something that might offend somebody. Now, we never want to offend somebody just because of opinions or just to offend them. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like to do that. We shouldn't be doing it. But when we use the Word of God, sometimes, yeah, it is going to be uh, uncomfortable people, but to just put it out the way it is. The doctrines of grace, for instance, 
will make people very, very mad. But it's the truth of the Word of God. And it's something that um, Paul never held back. He never held back the wrath of God. He never held back the, the justice of God. Of course, all the other doctrines you can, you can think of that uh, Paul covered that were very hard doctrines. And the death of Christ and the Father demanding that full price from His Son, that could be offensive to people. Because they can't imagine a God that would do that. He says publicly and house to house. Um, what, what do you think he's saying there? Do you think it's in a public assembly? Uh, is it uh, Christians or is it? Uh, what, what would you say? Well, for one thing, what he has done. Of course, he started out in the synagogue there, as as usual, and that was public. And then, whenever they kind of booted him out of there, it's time to move on. And then he taught in that. In that, in that school during the day and at night of course that might have been where the house to house thing could have been but um, so he had he had <clears throat> congregations there was a church there uh, that he would preach and teach uh, big crowds and then he would even go house to house and I have to think those could be like to families just and it could have been like Bible studies many of us have been part of home Bible studies Maybe they invite some people over. So we're talking uh, believers. We're talking unbelievers. He was always preaching and, and, and teaching, whoever it would be, in season, out of season. And so I tend to think it uh, definitely um, you know, in congregational sense and in just small settings. Uh, wherever he, And if it be one-on-one, Paul's at it. He's always doing it. I, I use this verse to justify um, Absolutely, house to house, right? That's well. That's that's how we got started. We got started in a in a house, and we were there a long time, close to twenty years, something like that, fifteen. Um, many of you have probably been either part of that. Of course, I think of Janice and Eldon. They had a Bible study there for years and years and years at their house, and there's. They're really, I'm telling you, that's one of the biggest blessings you can have is whenever you have this, it's a little cell. You can't. You don't get 40 or 50 people in there usually, but you have 5, 10, 15, 20, however many, and it is a special group. And of course, I, I think of this as a special group right here. Johnny and Frieda were involved in that same kind of thing. And they had it at their house when they first became Christians, even before Johnny became Christian. He was checking it out. Am I right on that? Was it before or right about that same time? Yeah, it was my idea to have it. Okay. That's when you know God is working in your life. <laughs> yeah, you can have Bible. I, I want you to have Bible study at my house. I don't. I'm not a believer, but <laughs> the Lord turned around that really quick, didn't He? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good verse for that. House to house. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks. So he didn't hold back. Uh, he kept preaching and teaching to the Jews who wanted to hear. And of course the Greeks who were hearing it for the first time. And so, and that pretty well entails everybody, doesn't it? 
at that time, either, as far as they were concerned, you're either Jewish or Greek, and that's the way it is. There was a dividing line between them. And um, he knew that that had been broken. Yeah, Greek, Gentile, that would be the same crowd. Okay. Yeah. And, and, of course, take it on out to all the other nations and such. But, yeah, that would be the Gentile. Yeah. And, and that is a good question because sometimes you'll see the word Greek that actually... I need to look this up. I wish I had to... And somebody probably has something they can look that up uh, in, in the text there. Uh, I'm not sure if that's ethnos there or not. Which verse? It, it's actually in verse uh, t- 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 verse 21, Greeks. Sometimes when you see the word Greek, it's interchangeable, and uh, it might be Gentile that's put there. Do you do you all have Greek in your text? Yeah. We have all okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, if, if we if we find out, we'll we'll know. It, it may not be Ethnos there then, but anyway, uh, he testifies Christ. What is he? What's at the heart of his ministry? What did Jesus say? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is hand. John the Baptist had said, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is hand." Guess what? Paul's preaching the gospel, dealing with, uh, of course, Christ, the cross. Uh, of course, that shows that we've all broken the law, and he had to die for that sin. And then uh, the message is, Peter uh, said in Acts two, that, sirs, what must we do, to, or not, what must we be do to do to be saved? But something like that. I better turn back there, right? stumble all over myself here. Peter said to them, repent. Oh, what did they say? Brethren, what shall we do? As as he preached uh, that message and preached about Christ, Christ crucified and resurrected, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a repent. It's metanoia to change the mind. Not only change your thinking on that, but uh, it's it's your whole lifestyle. Uh, turn from uh, sin, turn from idolatry to God, right? Of course, some of you might remember listening to Billy Graham back back through the years, and he'd always define repentance, of course, as turning from one direction to the next, to the other side. Uh, But that that was so much part of his uh, message. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.9, I think, is really helpful on that, too. Because it showed what these these pagans did in in their change and their change of lifestyle and their way of thinking, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. So they you turn, and that's that's the idea of repenting there, turning from from sin. To God, yeah. yeah. And several, I'm looking on Bible Hub here, and I, I didn't Goodness. actually look up the word Greek there uh, at this point, but I looked up all these different versions. Mm-hmm. And there's probably about 20 different Bible versions here. Most Besides of, Greeks, yeah. Most of them use the word Greek or Greeks. There are a few that say uh, Gentiles for that word, and then there's one. The Aramaic Bible in plain English uh, uses the word Aramaeans. Aramaeans. Oh, A-R-A-M-A-E-A-N-S. 
the non-Jews. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's something they can relate to. Yeah. yeah. So, but most of them do use Greeks uh, as far as the word. But some of them did and actually did use Gentiles. Uh huh. Okay. Couple. I don't know what it makes up. That's from Oh, it is helpful. Oh, yeah. Because somebody could say, well, the, the Greeks, well, how about the rest of the world? But that's, generally, that's what it, what it means. When I think of Romans, I think of the rich and the powerful and the soldiers and all that. I think of the Greeks. I kind of think of Socrates and you know, just kind of thinking. And that, and that is uh, the difference if you look in an English text and then, um, you know, you you look at what the Greek is saying there, and of course it was a Greek-speaking world, regardless of even the people who spoke Latin. That was a one one-world type language then, and uh, that but that covered everybody, the Jews. Repentance and faith. Oh, those two ingredients are part of the, what what we do. Uh, it's only what we do because God is the one who grants us repentance and grants us faith. Which comes first? <laughs> How do you divide that up, right? Coming from God, the thing is is that He gives us those ingredients that we need. Um, we have to we have to repent. We have to believe, right? And so Paul, that's what he's doing whenever he's in Ephesus, whether he be in Miletus or Philippi or wherever. He's uh, preaching repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And don't you know, he really hit hard on justification because when you think of Romans, he gave the gospel more succinct and detailed than any other place in the book of Romans. Detail that down from chapter 1 and right on through, but especially through those first 11 chapters. Uh, position in Christ. And, uh, it's interesting, I was dealing with Fred today and he asked me what sanctification was and so I needed to go back to justification. Mm. And so I told him what justification, and I told him, I said, once you justify, you never lose your justification. You're always justifying, you're not technically, but you're always justifying. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that these words are within the scriptures, but he's never come to understand and, and And it's evident that the pastors, I don't know what they preach. I don't know what they get from preach. I don't know whether they look at a passage of scripture and decide that, well, this is what that means, so I guess I'll preach that. You know, so they're really in desperate need. They need, uh, need the training, need the teaching. Teaching of the pure Word of God. Well, he had, he had NIV, and I'm not a fan. Yeah, and that's the one I was going to use. Specifically mentioned that I first started out at NIV and began to study the Bible already, and I've never seen that word in there. And you know, then I switched to. These are very, very important yeah. words, and so yeah. you have to deviate from them and use another term. You lose the value of those, those terms. Yeah, that's what can happen with translations. You can lose a value off of what the original language is. Yes. Of course, some try to get it to 
be as understandable as can. But one, once we do that, now now we're losing a little bit. I know NAS, which I've used for years, and I'm not saying, hey, that's the one everybody has to use, but it's been very um, helpful to me because um, even though some have said that it's a choppy translation, you hear that word a lot, and a little bit harder to read than maybe some of the other versions, uh, I think it's uh, very accurate for the most part. There are some times whenever it uh, it may come up a little short with maybe some other translations on a particular word, but usually it's, it's really right on. But uh, enough of that. I don't think Paul really talked about... Uh, the translations at the time there because they didn't even have the New Testament put together, although it was being put together, he was preaching it. He was preaching it to them as he spoke sometimes or as he wrote later. But he was putting a lot of this together, like I said, in what we've already dealt with now. He had he was writing books like the Corinthians and and such and other places and Romans. He, he had just been in the process of writing that when he was in Corinth. So a lot of the New Testament was being put together by this time. And uh, that's nice to know that they could actually read it, have it in their hands, or have somebody teach it to them anyway. Well, that's the, uh, that's the past. Is he reminds them about his character and what he had done. Then he talks about his future in 22, 24. And now, behold... That's something to uh, to watch out for. And it says, now behold, check this out. <laughs> Bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. When you know the sovereignty of God, He's in control of everything. It really doesn't matter what is going to happen in the future as long as He just keeps using you, you're obedient to that, and He's going to see fit when He's going to take you out. In the meantime, you, you might be able to preach it in different ways that you would never dream of. And he expected to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Spain. And on his way to Rome, he just went on a free ship cruise. You know, might have been headed for prison, but God made a way. Uh, <laughs> bound by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit. That's a good example of. Don't follow the circumstances, but you need to follow what God has moved in your heart to do. Because uh, if you follow the circumstances here, you may never know. That's right. That's right. By the way, it is interesting. Another reason why, and I never thought about this till some commentary that I read, and I can't even remember who it was now, but I go, huh, that's kind of interesting. I forgot. He had been in Ephesus, Ephesus before, right? Well, do you remember he kind of left on unpleasant circumstances. Do you remember the riot? Shortly after that, he went on, got on out of there. Uh, maybe he didn't want to go back in there because uh, probably people had told him, hey, no, if you're going to get it, get it at in Jerusalem, you don't want to be out here in, in Ephesus. I, no, just throwing that out. 
<laughs> but I, I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's right. I forgot it, it, it hadn't been that long since it had been there. And yeah, he he had that probably kind of hightail out of there. Uh, but he's compelled by the Spirit, uh, you know, bound by the Spirit. He's been driven by Him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's controlled by the Holy Spirit. And this is where He's going to go. He's going to go to Jerusalem. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit's telling Him, and He's probably telling Him by uh, many people, for one thing. The Holy Spirit definitely made impacts on, on Paul. But whenever you have people, as he goes to different cities, and they're all telling him the same thing, um, <laughs> I guess he knows what um, what is ahead. If you look at Acts 21, we'll look ahead. Verse 4. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. Disciples, we, uh, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit, there you go, not to set foot in Jerusalem. <laughs> they tell him not to go there because they know what's going to happen. Well, Paul's going to keep going anyway, right? Verse 10 and 11. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, up from the, from the mountains, coming down. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, I'm going to make a demonstration, bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. <laughs> like an Old Testament prophet, being very graphic, taking the belt, tying his feet and hands, in this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. That's the prophet Agabus. comes there before he gets to Jerusalem. People started begging him not to go to Jerusalem. There's a circumstances. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? <laughs> he's sad because they're sad because he's going to have to go there and he's not really sad. For I am ready not only to be bound but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus for His sake. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent remarking, The will of the Lord be done. It's almost humorous. I'm sure Paul takes it seriously, but yet he's saying, that's where I'm supposed to go. That's what I'm going to do. At the same time, the humanness comes across from godly people and saying, don't go. We don't want to see you die. Such I, is Paul. I read that you said in verse 14, though, you read you said we... Include Luke, the writer of this book, again, like you said earlier, when it said we. Yeah, I think when you see we, and Luke is recording this, that's uh, that's Luke right in there. So Luke is Luke telling is him. One of the ones telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. Yeah. And because he's been hearing this all along, too. He says, this surely must be what's going to happen. So just about everybody was probably telling him, don't go. This Jesus is going to happen. Jesus had to have such a powerful, powerful persuasion by the Spirit of God to ignore the those that were pretty affluent in, in their walk with the Lord as well to to just you know I know what God spoke I know that the Spirit of God has moved on my heart I have to go. And, and even though you've got you've got 
John MacArthur, and you've got some other people that are telling them, no, don't go, uh, that are, are quite, and uh, got a lot of influence, but yet he disregarded that. He said, no, I know what God is. I've got to do what I know the Lord's laid on my heart. A lot of ways here. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, very um, graphic as it goes to Jerusalem. I, you know, it's uh, just like in Old Testament, you have a lot of types of Christ, and I think here's a, a type of that that passion. As, and especially this week, as we think about that, it's kind of interesting knowing that he's going to go there. He's going to to suffer. Now, not he's not going to the cross like Jesus is, obviously. And he only gets arrested there. But the gospel is going to be spread big time in Rome. And then we know that even when he's in a house arrest, people are coming to him and he gives them the gospel. They come to him. (laughs) Oh, God could do this. And he does that in our lives. On a day-to-day basis. It's not just the Apostle Paul, but if we're obedient to his desires for us, we don't have an idea of what he can do when it looks so impossible. Yeah, you know, when there's a real genuine hunger, people are going to come to you. Uh, these people who are coming to him, maybe some of them don't know Christ, or some of them have been quickened uh, to life, and there's some hunger there. And, and I'm just amazed at the hunger that is in bondage. There's just a real genuine uh, and so the people just coming, wanting to know, tell me the truth, teach me. Uh, and I think that that's somewhat of the same thing. It's like the Spirit of God just moved on these people. And there's such a genuine hunger. Here's a man who knows what he's talking about. Uh, we need to go and talk to him. Well, there can be masses of people in it. And here, where we're at, it just doesn't seem... And God has His people everywhere, but it doesn't seem like there are a lot of people really hungry. Uh, maybe we're missing where those people are at. You know that that can be yeah chance. In chapter eighteen, it says, "The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I am." So Paul must have been either afraid or close to being afraid. And the temptation, he must have had a temptation to be silent at the level. For the Lord to speak and say, Don't be afraid. Excellent. Don't be silent. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think when we were dealing with that, I, I think if, if God says, do not be afraid, what does that mean? Probably that he's afraid. And that means, yeah, Paul was an apostle, and he was quite a man. You know, he really was. But yet, he's human. He's just human, like like us. You know, we're human. We, we can have a tendency to be afraid, but if we know this sovereign God, it should take away those fears that, that come up. And we battle them. You know, we, we do. We, we, you know, we doubt and we, we have our fears and yet when we start thinking on the sovereign God, He's always come through for us. Every time. He beside Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane where uh, even He mm-hmm. had to battle through His own flesh 
to where he said, I will make this cup. And one time he says, this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless you will be done. And so even the Lord had to deal with the battle of his flesh. So, you know, we, if he had to battle with the flesh, man, guess what we have? Father, why have you forsaken me? But, uh, yeah. That's um, all comforting, isn't it? To know that he finished his course, that he was going to do... Paul finished his course. Everything around you is looking bad. But I, I like what he what he says here. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. <laughs> it come to the point where it, it, it really doesn't matter e- either way. God's in control of this. And in the meantime, uh, I want to finish the course. I desire to. I will do it. And of course, he solemnly testified the Gospel, the grace of God. He preached grace. He preached sovereign grace. What do you have now behold, verse 25, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Now he's telling them. Here's, here's why uh, I wanted you to come here. Um, I'm going to be going. And you're not going to see me again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. He was a watchman on the wall, in a sense, you think of Ezekiel. You you think of him giving everything, the whole counsel of God, which he will say in the next verse. He never held back anything from them. He gave everything from the Word of God. He preached the whole counsel. And so he says that um, I didn't shrink, verse 27, from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I think I grew up on the whole counsel of God, the whole purpose of God. Everything in the Bible. All the grand doctrines that are there, He taught them all. Some people have their pet doctrines and we all have those little pet things that we uh, tend to be on. But if we go through the Word of God, we have to preach things that we maybe normally either feel that we're not comfortable with or somebody else may not be comfortable with or um, who knows. But... um, that's that's where he's at. He he didn't shrink from declaring everything, and you know, he tells them to be on guard. And Jesus constantly said, "Be alert, be watchful, be on guard." Paul, all the way through his epistles, seems like everywhere he writes, he's going to tell them to be on guard, be watchful. Something we we hear constantly in Scripture, and that's what we're also to be doing today. He gives them a warning. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. You're, you're the elders of the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. The Holy Spirit did it. Made them bishops or <coughs> episcopos to shepherd, and that's poimen, to feed the flock. So, the, they are elders. We've already seen that. Now they're called overseers, the very same group. 
Same individuals. And they shepherd. Here's their activity. Poimen. And that's how that uh, word gets in there. Shepherds or pastors. The church of God. The Holy Spirit made them this. It's the church of God. And then he gets in a grand doctrine which he purchased with his own blood. A lot of different doctrine out of that. One thing that I see is Christ is God. This is the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And, of course, you you see the atonement there, um, the blood of Christ, right? Yes, we know this is how we're justified, but um, this is Christ uh, paying the ransom. He came for a ransom for the many. Bart. In that, book, in that verse, living next to a Jehovah's Witness, and it says the Church of God, and then it says which He obtained with His own blood, which says that Jesus is God and God is Jesus. Basically, how would they interpret that verse? Um, they just over it. <laughs> Yeah, and then they would say, well, so it's just that's talking about the church of God over here, and then it's talking about, you know, he, yeah, there, uh, there's so many texts that show the deity of Christ. You could go on and on. You were talking about guarding. The, uh, the other side of that, too, the verse that came to my mind was uh, in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, when he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for them. And I got to thinking about you know, we need to guard and watch over, but at the same time, the parishioners need to understand that that is their position as guardian over them, so therefore they need to submit. Right, there's a, it works both ways there, doesn't it? That's the way that uh, God set that institution up. And um, I think of um, I just might uh, pick this up uh, next time. Of course, you get into um, you get into Timothy, and chapter three, for instance. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, that's bishop or episcopos, episcopos, epi which is over, and scopus, or scope, scope out, to see, right? You think of telescope, scope. Episcopus, that's how we, you know, our English translates out of that. So it means to oversee, overseer. Um, They're the ones who oversee them. They guard them, right? Uh, Protect them. And, of course, that's where the shepherd comes in, too, who the guardian in that sense. To find work he desires to do, and then he says in verse two, an overseer then must be above reproach. Gives the qualities there, and uh, of course that's that's in Timothy. We see that um, in in Titus, and I think I'm probably going to end here. Well, we have a break. I think the the real heavy rain quit for a moment. <laughs> um, verse five of chapter one. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders 
And that's our word there that we've been looking at, the elders that were in Ephesus, for instance. And every city, as I directed you, so they were to be appointed. And um, so we can see elder, we can see in in Timothy, they're called uh, bishops, Episcopalians, Episcopalians. Of course, that's and that's that's the government the Episcopalians chose, ruled by bishops rather than the, the local pastor. Anyway, I, I guess we'll uh, we'll stop there and um, kind of deal with the, the whole purpose of God and the overseers and shepherds and the um, the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood, and then the departure and the savage wolves. He, he says He knew Satan. He knew Satan would come in there. And you say, how do you know that? Because that's how he works. That's what he's always done wherever Paul has been. Guess what's happened? Right on on his tail. And of course the false teachers have come there by the droves and I'm sure it had probably all was right at the the doorstep there in Ephesus and they had some of the, the greatest biblical teachers that any church could ever have. My, the history they had. I used to uh, tell some of my folks that uh, I believe in strutting angels. And they said, what are you talking about? He said, well, because I knew what God was going to do, and he strutted before Satan, and as soon as we can do anything about it. <laughs> strutting angels. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't heard that one before. Name first. Well, that's what they were doing there, or going to do, right?